Well, Dr. Artie Kendall is going to come and minister God's word to us now. We can lift the lights up. And I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter, sorry, 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 8. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 8. One day, Elisha went on to Shumen, where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to her, Say to her... Say, to, say now to her, see you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said to her, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, No, my lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time, the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. Let's welcome Dr. Kendall as he comes. Sometimes God chooses to spoil us. Do you know what it is to have the Lord spoil you? Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I turn to you and ask for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be received, heard, applied as you intend, and cleanse my tongue, that I will be your transparent vehicle to convey everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. I pray that this will be a word that will thrill somebody who wants to be thrilled by a word that comes from beyond, speak to us. Let this be life-changing and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We continue in our series of messages on the subject of Elijah. No, I'm sorry, Elisha. I'm always making that mistake. It happens about every other time. Elijah and Elisha. Why did they have to have names so similar? But Elisha, we're talking about. Now, in chapter 3, uh, we saw that Elisha spoke to heads of states, uh, to kings. And then in chapter 4, he ministered to a poor widow. Uh, now, it's interesting to me that God is interested in nations. He's equally concerned about hurting people and poor people. Mark Twain said, God must like poor people. He made so many of them. 
Well, now, in this part of Elisha, we're going to see another dimension. It may surprise you. Would it surprise you if you were to find out that God is interested in the welfare of rich people? Uh, now, some people, not a lot, but some can be trusted with wealth. And, uh, and I don't know how many wealthy people are here, maybe one or two. You say, well, if there's only one or two, uh, why waste the good time? They can always get some encouragement. But I'll tell you what we learn, that a wealthy person may seem to have everything that they want, but they don't have everything that they really need. And even if there's one person who's poor, God is interested in you. But tonight we look at an example of a wealthy lady, not a widow as in the previous time, but she is married. And she lived in an area where Elisha frequently traveled. Well, now, in my previous message, I stressed that we should be content with the need being supplied. God promises to supply the need. In the realm of economics, you've got need, the necessity, and then comforts and luxuries. God promises to supply the need. But once in a while, God lets somebody enjoy comforts, even luxuries. And the Shunammite lady is proof of that that Bruce just read about. Uh, Abraham, the father of the faithful, was a very wealthy man. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who buried Jesus and gave him his own tomb, uh, was a wealthy man. Uh, Lydia, who was converted, uh, was a seller of purple. Uh, and the truth is, these are exceptions. As a matter of fact, Paul put it like this. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. So if you were to look around and uh, look for the Einsteins that are here today, uh, the geniuses, the Leonardo da Vinci's, uh, Michelangelo's, uh, the Augustine's, uh, Thomas Aquinas, uh, uh, just look around and see if you can spot one. Do you see? Oh, I'm looking at Bruce. <laughs> I was about ready to say there are none here. And then. And then it says not many are noble. Would all people of the aristocracy stand at the, when I come to one? Three, two, one. All aristocracy. Amanda, I, I thought you were of Irish nobility. You are? Okay, well, stand. Don't be ashamed of it. That, isn't that why Colin married you? I don't know if you ever heard of Lady Huntington. Uh, she was the benefactor of the great George Whitfield. And Lady Huntington was often saying that she was saved by the letter M. Have you ever thought about that before? How many know what I mean by that? Lady Huntington of nobility, aristocracy, born to privilege, said, I was saved by the letter 
M. And that's because Paul said, not many of you were wise by human standards. He didn't say not any. He said not many. She said, I was saved by the letter M. Not many were of noble birth. The truth is, most of God's people are very, very ordinary. And so I want you to turn the person to the person next to you and just say, you are ordinary. Well, I think we, we, we got it just about 100%. Well, with that, since I'm talking about rich people being blessed, maybe I should just close and pronounce the benediction and go home. But not really. There are those now and then who are influential, well-connected, who know people in high places, and God loves them. And when you remember this, don't ever be jealous of people like that. Back in the days when I used to sell vacuum cleaners door to door in South Florida, and I did, I, I was a vacuum cleaner salesman for several years. I sold uh, largely to rich people. Uh, it's easier to get them to write a check than poor people. And I would uh, knock on the doors. I sold to the founder of Pepsi-Cola. I sold to the heiress of Coca-Cola. I sold to the owner of the Empire State Building. And uh, do you know what? As I got to know some of these people, they've got so many problems, so many hurts, so many heartaches. Well, now, there are two major players in our story today. The Shunammite, this wealthy lady, and Elisha. Now, what do we know about this lady who's called the Shunammite? Well, she was wealthy, and she urged Elisha to come to her home for a meal. And then she suggested to her husband, why don't we build a room on the top of our uh, roof and provide a bed and a lamp and a chair for Elisha to use when he is nearby. She was so grateful to know a man of God, and she wanted to spoil him. That's what we're learning. She knew that Elisha was a holy man of God. He's not like those who are trying to butter up rich people. He's not wanting to stay in the house of somebody who's well-connected. He was a man of God, and she noticed that about him. And so she refers to Elisha as a holy man of God. And what she did was giving a touch of luxury for that time of world history. Now, he said something to her. Uh, it's, it's not very good, in my opinion. He said, uh, what can I do for you? Uh, for example, would you like for me to speak to the king on your behalf? Well, her reply is, I dwell among my own people. It was a little slap on the wrist to Elisha. Uh, perhaps we should say shame on Elisha uh, that he would suggest such a thing. Uh, it does show he had influence in high places. And he thought he might take advantage of this for this Shunammite. But no, uh, it was an unintended but 
timely put down to Elisha when she says, I dwell among my own people. But then he kept pressing and said to his servant Gehazi, find out more. Is there anything we can do? And so Gehazi comes back and says, well, there is something I can tell you. She's childless, and her husband is an old man. Let me ask, do you know what it is to want to have a child? Do you know what it is to want a baby? There are those mothers who long to have a baby, parents who are childless. And this is a word that might encourage somebody like that tonight. Uh, I don't know if you know about this. Uh, our own son, T.R., married to Annette uh, for many years. And uh, they went to Redding, California. I think this was about eight or nine years ago. And uh, at the end of the service, the person who was preaching, his name is Paul Manwaring, Manwaring uh, said, could there be any childless couples here tonight? If so, if you'll come forward, I feel led to pray for someone here who you're a couple, you've got no child. Well, T.R. and Annette had been married nine years. Didn't cross their minds when they decided to go to Reading and spend a few weeks that anything like this would happen. They looked at each other and they said, why not? They went forward. Paul Manwaring prayed for them. And according to TR, she was pregnant before they left California. It was an amazing thing that they were not expecting. Now, God can do that sort of thing. I don't know if you know about this, that uh, Lyndon and Celia uh, Bowering, Lynn and Celia, our, our closest friends, did you know that they were childless for 10 years? And their physician told them, pretty blunt, you will never be parents. They were examined. You will never be parents. And Lyndon said, you have no idea what that did for me. He said, I lay on the carpet in sheer grief. But guess what? They didn't take that as the final answer. They prayed. They've got three wonderful children, Daniel, Emma, Andrew, and now two grandchildren. Now, what happened is then, Gehazi says, she's got no children. Her son is old. And Elisha prophesies that she will have a son by the same time in 12 months. And then she replies, do not lie to your servant. It was a way of her saying she didn't want to get her hopes up. Well, now what about Elisha himself? We know that he traveled to Shunem in northern Israel. He would stop when in the area to get a meal. And one day he went there to rest. And uh, that's when he asked his servant Gehazi to call the lady to see what they can do for her. 
And uh, the bottom line is, the only thing they could come up with is that she's got no children. Her husband is old. Standing in the doorway, he prophesied that she will have a son in one year. And the prophecy was fulfilled. She bore a son one year later. Well, now, why is this sermon important? Well, it shows that God cares for the poor, but he also he cares for the rich. And sometimes God wants to spoil us, even those who you don't think are worthy of it. And he spoiled the Shunammite lady with wealth. And he spoiled Elisha with what she could do for him. It was one thing she could do. Uh, you know, rich people, as I said, may seem to have everything they need, but they don't have everything they want. And God sometimes deprives them of something that they want more than anything in the world. Uh, Queen Elizabeth I, 400 years ago, as she was dying, said she would give half her kingdom to anybody that could keep her alive for one more year. But you see, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It's a fact that we're all going to die. And I say that to anybody in this place. Whatever you may believe about the Christian faith and how much you may want to dispute it, there's a verse in the Bible that you are going to agree with. It's Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It is appointed unto men and women once to die. And whether you have ever thought about this, do you realize that Christianity is mainly concerned about your death? Perhaps you recall that I had a tract printed many years ago when first coming to Westminster Chapel, I noticed that there were no tracts in the back of the pews, only hymnals and Bibles. So I decided to uh, print a tract. I wrote one, gave it to one of our deacons, get it printed, and uh, he came back a few weeks later and said, uh, Dr. Kendall, uh, the printer, who is a Christian, uh, says you've made a mistake in your tract. As soon as he said that, I knew exactly what it was going to be. I knew exactly what it was going to be. He said, well, in your tract you say that Christianity is concerned mostly about your death. I said, that's what I said. Well, this man, printer, he's, he's a Christian, says you should have said Christianity is concerned mostly about your life. I said, Peter, get another printer. This is why I'm in London. Do you know what? We had that tract printed, and you would never believe the people that were converted over the next several years from that tract, and the only thing that gripped them was that point. You see, you could say Christianity is concerned about your life. This talk tonight proves that, of course. But you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. And God's concerned about your life. But the main thing is, rich or poor, we're all going to die. Well, what is this sermon about? Why is it so important? Well, it's a demonstration of mutual gratitude. 
she wanted to show gratitude to Elisha by giving them this place to stay when he was in the area. Elisha wanted to show gratitude to this Shunammite by doing what he could for her. And it shows that God is the author of life and he's the one who gives children. It shows that God can give life-changing prophecies. And it's another point, I wouldn't want to make a lot of it because this is not Friday night when we have school of theology and go in a little deeper than I care to go into tonight. But it does show something very interesting, the mystery of prophecy. Uh, For example, what do you think uh, brings about a prophecy? Or what do you think is behind a prophecy being fulfilled? Uh, It's like saying, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Uh, uh, Which comes first, what God has already decided to do because it's predestined? Or what Elisha prophesied? Does that come first? Well, I can tell you, God knows the end from the beginning. Elisha's prophecy did not cause the birth of that son. God had already determined the birth of the son. Elisha was given the privilege of announcing it. And remember this about a prophecy. We might think that the prophecy is is going to be uh, something that will change our lives because it's the prophet's idea. But I can tell you, uh, sometimes uh, God will let it look like that. But in every case, it's a, it's a matter when God was already going to do it. But he raises up somebody to give encouragement. I know what it is to have a life-changing prophecy. Some years ago, uh, in fact, about 14 years ago, I think I was 67, 68 at the time, uh, John Paul Jackson... Uh, who is now in heaven, gave me a prophecy sitting at our table. We were living in Key Largo, Florida at the time. Gave me a prophecy that absolutely, totally changed my life. I don't have time to go into the details, except I can tell you, I would not be right here now. I would not be here. Were it not for that prophetic word, which is what I needed, and it changed my life. But you see, God was behind it. And remember the things that appear to be accidents. Uh, They're not accidents. And you're here tonight by God's purpose. It is no accident that you're hearing this particular word. But now there's a second reason that this is an important word, and that is to show the responsibility of anybody here who may be wealthy, who may be rich. I have no any... No way of knowing if anybody here is that, but I suspect there are some. And you need to know this, that if God has entrusted you with wealth and a high income, you need to be sure that you are a giver to the work of the Lord. You need to be a tither. And I'll tell you my experience with wealthy people almost without exception. They are not tithers. And it's very, very sad. And I found this out over the years. 
that the people that have the higher incomes proportionately are the least likely to tithe. Many, many years ago, I was pastor of a church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. One Monday morning, the treasurer uh, was counting the money from the Sunday before, and it was all laid out on the table. And she said, uh, I've got to do an errand. Would you just look after the money? And I'll be back in an hour. I said, sure. Well, I looked on the table. There was the cash. There were a lot of checks. I did something I probably shouldn't have done, <laughs> but I did it. I wanted to see who gave and who didn't. Shouldn't have done it, but I did. And you know what I found out? Those with the highest income in the church were given proportionately the smallest amount. It was the single parents. It was the widows. It was the divorcees who were tithing to the hilt. I was amazed when I saw that. And I can tell you, uh, the tithe is the Lord's. And if you do not give him what is his, he'll take it. He may not get it, that is the church, but he'll get it another way. It's far better to live on 90% of your income and give God what is his. In any case, it shows the importance of giving God what is his. A number of years ago, I know what it is. It didn't happen to me but once, uh, but somebody decided to spoil me. And uh, I'd had a little illness. This is also when I was in Fort Lauderdale. And a man from Pennsylvania that I hardly knew uh, phoned the church and said, I think your pastor should have a little holiday and gave money for me to go to the Bahama Islands to fish for a whole week. Paid for the hotel, the food, the airplane, everything. I call that being spoiled. Uh, but it only happened once. But it was good. And sometimes God chooses to do that. And when it does happen, you can just be thankful. But I want to come now to the main point of my sermon tonight. This message shows the importance of being grateful. I wrote a book called Thanking God. The American title is Just Say Thanks. I wonder if you realize how important it is to say thank you to God. You see, we are made in the image of God. And one thing God notices is ingratitude. As a matter of fact, at the, the end of Romans chapter 1, where you have all kinds of evil descriptions of people, lasciviousness and, and corruption and vileness, right in the middle, they were unthankful. God puts being ungrateful right on the same plane as homosexual promiscuity. Now, you might be the first to condemn something like that, but are you a thankful person? I'll tell you when I had a wake-up call on this, 
number of years ago. This is when I was at Westminster Chapel. In fact, it was in April 1986. I was preaching on this verse, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. And I'll read it to you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. This has only happened to me one time in my ministry. I've been preaching maybe 62 years. It only happened once. It was on a third Sunday in April 1986. As I preached, and I came across that phrase, with thanksgiving, when you pray, put your petitions with thanksgiving. For some reason, it was as though my whole life came before me. My whole life. And in a flash, in a second, the Lord began to show me one thing after another that he had done for me. And I hadn't said thank you. And I became so miserable as I preached. I said, God, please help me to get this sermon over with. I'll get to the vestry. I will get on my knees. I will repent. I will put it right. And I did. When I went to the vestry that day, we closed the door. I said, I don't want to see anybody until I say so. I began to pray. I repented like I've never repented. And I began to thank the Lord. And he just showed me things like, he said, is one of them. He said, uh, uh, you're the minister of Westminster Chapel, and you're from Kentucky. Do you appreciate that? I said, well, yes, of course. You never told me. And one thing after another, it just put before me. And I said, well, Lord, you know I'm thankful, but you didn't tell me. But, Lord, you know my heart. You know I'm thankful. You didn't tell me. Do you remember when Jesus healed ten lepers? One came back and said, thank you. And immediately Jesus said, where are the nine? Here's a principle. In fact, here are three together. Are you ready for this? Three principles. Number one, God loves gratitude. Number two, God hates ingratitude. Three, gratitude must be taught. And I began teaching it. And I remember going to what used to be our 5.30 prayer meeting at Westminster Chapel in the evenings. I said, tonight we're going to do nothing for five minutes except thank the Lord. Five minutes. Five minutes. And uh, I said, no petitions, no requests, just thank him. Everybody understand that? They seem to. Okay, let us pray. Got quiet. After a couple of minutes, I said, what's the matter with you people? Is nobody here thankful for anything? Quiet. What? Well, somebody thank him for Jesus. Oh, someone spoke up, oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Quiet. Is that it? Someone else? Thank him for the Bible. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word. 
Do you know I had to spoon feed them to teach them? It took a while, but after several weeks, we extended the five minutes to 15 minutes. And by after several weeks, people were falling over each other to be first, just to thank the Lord for things. I kept my vow. It happens that I keep a journal. I can tell you where I was on November 8th, 1985, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It's something I do. I keep my journal going. I can tell you where I was all day yesterday each time. You know what I did this morning? I've done it for all these years. I go through my journal and thank him for everything from the day before. And you know how long it takes? 15 seconds? Didn't take long. That's all. A year ago, Mayo Clinic came out with a, a bulletin. I'm on their mailing list. And these were medical people. They're not Christians that I know of. And they said it has been determined that thankful people live longer. Now, maybe that'll get you going. <laughs> I would suggest that before you go to bed tonight, thank him for three things of this very day. Do it every day. Don't go a day without it. thanking for at least three things. And when you start going over the items, there's so much. You'll be amazed. God loves gratitude. And so this is something that we learn. This wealthy woman wanted to show gratitude to Elisha. He wanted to show gratitude to her. You see, we're made in the image of God, and one of the things about God is he likes to be thanked. Do you ever have somebody do something for you, and, you, and they say, uh, I'm ever so grateful. Uh, thank you so much, and we say, don't mention it. But woe unto them if they don't mention it. <laughs> we want to know that they appreciate it. God is like that. And this story shows how God loves gratitude and notices these things. Well, I can tell you this. This wealthy lady wanted to spoil Elisha. He didn't get it every day, just once in a while. Maybe you ought to look over your shoulder and see if there's somebody you could just spoil. Maybe if you're in a restaurant and you see a, a family seated together, uh, go to the waitress, give them your credit card, and say, I want to pay for the meal of that family over there. And maybe never let them know Never let them know. And I remember being in a restaurant in Williamsburg, Virginia, a couple of years ago, and I saw this army soldier who had just got back uh, from Iraq. And uh, I got to looking at him, and I said to the waiter, give me his bill. And you know what the waiter said? He's already paid for yours. An opportunity to spoil. You know, uh, two categories of people when it comes to 
men of God, uh, those who are afraid they're going to do too much for their pastor. I had a church like that back in Tennessee. The treasurer said, Brother Kendall, God will keep you humble. We'll keep you poor. <laughs> and he was a man of his word. There are those who are so afraid they're going to do too much, but then there are those who are afraid they're not doing enough. God likes that. I would say, spoil your pastor. Spoil those that are in the ministry. That's what this lady, the Shunammite, wanted to do. But then I close with this. There's somebody here. I'm sure of it. No one has ever spoiled you. Maybe you're very, very poor. You don't know what it is to be spoiled. You may feel left out. Jesus gave a parable. Some think it's not a parable, that it was actually stating a fact. He said in Luke 16, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died. I'm sure when he died, uh, there was no announcement in the times about his death. He would have had a pauper's grave if he had any kind of service at all. Never shopped at Herod's. Probably never rode in a taxi. But when he died, he saw something he'd never seen in his life. Look here, look what's coming for me. A chariot coming for me. And we're told that the poor man had an angelic escort into glory. First time he was ever spoiled. And you see, God loves to do that. And we're all going to be spoiled one day when God is just going to get more pleasure by looking at our faces and seeing how amazed we are that this is actually happening, being escorted by angels into glory. Oh, oh by the way, the rich man also died. It turns out that he was buried. And for all I know, he got a big service at Westminster Abbey. And they were praising him, saying how much he'd done for the community. What a magnificent person he was. But guess what was actually going on? Do you know what it says here? It says, in hell, in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. You see, we're all going to die. One difference that you may not have noticed between Lazarus and the rich man. You know what it was? We don't know the name of the rich man. Don't know his name. He was nameless. But we know the name of the poor man. Isaiah chapter 43, 
Hear, O Israel, rejoice. I've called you by your name. The disciples came back and they said, Lord, the, the demons are subject to your name. And Jesus said, that's not the thing to rejoice over. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. We used to sing an old hymn back in Kentucky. Is my name written there on the page white and fair in the book of all ages? Is my name written there? Do you know for sure that your name is written there? Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And if you were to stand before God, you will. And he were to ask you, he might. Why should I let you into my heaven? Pretty big question. What would you say? Suppose it was a real thing. You're standing before God. You don't want to go to hell. You want to go to heaven. He says, tell me why I should let you in. What would you say? Think about it right now. Don't think of the person next to you. What would you say? What would you say? What would you say? I must say to you lovingly, if it doesn't come to your mind to say I've got one hope because Jesus died for me on the cross, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. But that can all change. If you did not come up with saying, because Jesus died for me, you need to pray this prayer right now. Are you ready? You don't need to say it out loud. God will hear you. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart as best as I know how, I give you my life.